Cookbooks have become part of the backbone of the publishing industry. They can certainly be a gateway into an unfamiliar culture. A cookbook editor's perspective will make you think about cookbooks differently. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Today we are chatting with Layla Mushabek, who is the cookbook editor at Interlink Publishing. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hi. So your company tagline is changing the way people think about the world. Tell me about that and how does that apply to cookbooks? Well, you know, since its origins, Interlink's mission has always been to bring stories um, and perspectives from around the world to the American audience and the and book market. And then we really feel that this kind of educates, it fosters cross-cultural understanding. And I think that this is particularly relevant to, to food. Our, our cookbooks tend to feature not only wonderful, delicious recipes, but also a lot of cultural information and photography and anecdotes and personal stories to give you a real sense of the context behind the food. And, you know, we, we tend to focus on writers from countries who were perhaps underrepresented in, in our uh, media. And, and we kind of feel that, that, that through this, we can, we can sort of help to um, balance some of the unequal structures that prioritize some voices over others. But also with this belief that, you know, reading these stories really in, can really enrich us um, all. I, and I think it's, it's really interesting to try different tastes as a way to kind of not only enrich your own table, but also as a way to connect to other people. I think that besides the cultural part, which of course is extremely important, just being able to learn about new spices or new spice combinations or even new techniques is often very enriching. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it kind of beyond that can give you a real personal connection to whoever it is that's sharing these recipes with you. Because I think that, you know, food is one of those incredible cultural markers that's very, very much tied into our emotions. It's almost universal. We, we all have favorite dishes that remind us of a particular place and it can be incredibly powerful to kind of like remember certain experiences, but also kind of learn new ones. I know my grandmother came from Sicily. Actually, both my grandparents came from Sicily and they were adults when they came to New Orleans and they found themselves in a place that has a pretty robust food culture already. And so it was probably pretty easy for them to um, integrate food-wise the things that they were interested in and that reminded them of home. But I could imagine that it could be pretty difficult coming here from another country and 
feeling almost like you're in a food desert <laughs> because it would be so different from um, what you might be used to at home. Yeah, a couple of years ago now, I collected and edited this cookbook called The Immigrant Cookbook, Recipes That Make America Great. And it was showcased the, the food and the, the stories of about 80 different immigrant American chefs. And they're kind of, they kind of gave a little bit of, of their own context into what brought them to their careers in food, whether they're chefs or food writers or small producers. And it was amazing to see that from all the different places that they came from, the, the ways that they created their flavors here, incorporated local ingredients to kind of bring their own experience to their dishes, um, and then also how they used food to connect with their communities and not only share their own experience, but also connect with their with their communities around them and, and remember home. I mean, a lot of them really fascinatingly didn't, you know, actually started cooking because they found themselves in an unfamiliar place and they wanted to kind of connect with their, their home. So they, you know, had phone conversations with relatives back home. <laughs> and I think food is really powerful in that way. It, personally, that's what it's, it's given me. My, my parents are both immigrants um, from England and my father's Palestinian. And I think for me, food gave me this very tangible way to connect to these sort of this mixed cultural background that was inaccessible to me in, in other ways. And so I think, you know, food is, can be very powerful in a lot of different ways for particularly for those who are finding themselves in new places. In new places, yes. It's also it's also true that you can see all of the history of a place through the food. I mean, that was one of the things that, as I studied Sicilian food after you know, I was a, an adult and wasn't just eating it as a child here in in New Orleans. So obviously, it was still changed, but there's so much so many layers of Sicilian history. I mean, being an island in the middle of the Mediterranean kind of was taken over by every kind of people that there were. And all of them left some kind of a mark on the, on the cuisine. And it's been really interesting to be able to then look at the food of some of those places and see the connections and that sort of thing. And only because my, my grandparents were actually cooking the food, you know, it wasn't just reading about it. You got to see what it was like to have raisins and pine nuts in your fish and things like that, that is very un-American, you know, in, in terms of its, its basis or using cinnamon and things that are other kinds of sort of sweet spices in things that were totally not sweet and totally savory and people are always surprised, but it does give you a nice connection to, to have that. Yeah, and I think that's where I really value what we do because we the recipes that we feature aren't just about the food, but because they also have that context and you really can get a sense of some of that history. And I think that's really important to, to think about where this food is coming from, not, not only that we enjoy it. I mean, right. of course we will do both, but... Um, you know, I think that that's a really important aspect of it. So I came to know your company through Soup for Syria. 
I just loved that book. I loved the idea of that book. So tell me about how that book came to be and how you've done other books since then. Well, Soup for Syria, um, we had worked with an incredible Lebanese chef and uh, food writer called and photographer called Barbara Abdeni Masad. Before we had published her, she did an incredible cookbook called Manushe, which is about the, the it's, a, it's a sort of Lebanese, well, it's popular all over the, the Levant, sort of like a pizza, it's a flatbread with a usually za'atar mixture, but also other toppings um, that you can get in street corner bakeries that were the sort of hub of a community and played a really important role historically because people could bring, you know, their own toppings or their own dishes that would be cooked in this, in this large oven. So they can, they almost served as communal ovens as well. And she traveled through Lebanon photographing them. And she did, she does such an incredible job giving this fuller uh, picture, not just of the dishes, but of the people and the communities behind the dishes and the history. And, and so we really loved what she did. And she came, she lives in the Becca Valley and region in Lebanon. And there is a, a, a refugee camp there. And she, found herself feeling very kind of helpless for ways to help. So she one day filled up her car with ingredients and went and just cooked with her new neighbors and did this weekly and then started making soups that she sold at markets to, to help, you know, fund food relief for this community. And, and, you know, so she decided to put together this cookbook, which gathered, you know, recipes from a lot of her, her chef friends, each one a soup recipe, each one talked a little bit why, about why they wanted to contribute to this kind of project and uh, why soup is a particularly comforting and hearty, significant meal to, to them and their families. And Barbara photographed them. Uh, and then the, the proceeds of the book were donated to UNHCR and other Syrian food and medical relief organizations. And that really launched our humanitarian cookbook series. We continued it later with an incredible title called Palestine on the Plate by Judy Kella, which raised funds for the Palestine House of Friendship, which is a community center in the Janine refugee camp. And then the immigrant cookbook, which I was just talking about, which raised money for the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project. So that's something that it's a series that's been really special to us. We intend to continue it. We've just recently done a children's book that also raises funds. Tell tell us about that. It's called Every Child's a Song. And it is our, actually our human humanitarian book of 2020. And it's not a cookbook. It's in in a new area. So it's something that we are expanding into into other humanitarian books from different uh, sections of our company and genres. So this one, uh, for every book purchased, 5% of the selling price will be donated to the Young Center for Immigrants' Rights, which is a human rights organization that advocates for the rights and best interests of immigrant children. And it's an incredibly beautiful book that celebrates children's rights. It's by Nicola Davies, and it's illustrated by Mark Martin. And I really recommend you pick up a copy. So let's get back to the cookbook, although I think all of this is really wonderful and it just shows you how interrelated all of these things are. So when you're selecting cookbooks, how is it that that you do that? In other words, are you asking people to write a cookbook or are they coming to you with a book idea? You know, for us, um, a bit of, a bit of, 
everything really. Um, sometimes we get incredible manuscript submissions from people we've never worked from before. And we just think this is fantastic. We have to do it. We're working on a book now that came to us that way. It's a Macedonian cookbook. Um, it's fantastic. And we're really excited uh, to be publishing it. It's by Katrina Nitsun. So but um, you know, other books had relationships with the with the authors for for many years and work with them on on new ideas that you know we have or they have that we want to to bring to light, and it's, it's sort of more of a collaboration. So it really varies. We sometimes work with publishing partners in other countries as well to bring kind of chefs that are the forefront of, of their industry into the American market. So it really varies um, for us, but we we really look for books where chefs are representing their own cultures and that they um, they all have that kind of contextual element. So a lot of photography, location photography, as well as food photography and uh, personal stories. And so that really you can kind of read them on your bedside table in the same way that you would in the kitchen or, you know, their beautiful objects or your coffee table as, you know, as much as you cook from them. So are there any parts of the world that you feel you need to explore a little bit more that you perhaps haven't had books come from, but maybe you think, okay, this is a hole in our oeuvre or whatever. Well, I have a very extensive wish list <laughs> that I'm <laughs> for sure. We are kind of mid-sized independent company, so we don't get to do as many as we, as we would like, but we're working towards it and we're growing every day. I would very much, I have on my wish list currently, my husband is Colombian and I have had a bit of a hard time finding some of the re Colombian recipes that he grew up with. And whenever I ask my mother-in-law, it's or or father-in-law there's a lot of very big measurements and things like that <laughs> as i'm sure most families will experience but um so i would very much love to see a really comprehensive colombian cookbook i also find that the food culture there really fascinating because it's so varied because of the differences in the in the well land. you have two coasts you have two oceans you have you know and then um, and, 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 yeah and the history there it used to be panama was part of it and just all of that yeah so that, that one's on my wish list, but <laughs> any place else, any sort of African countries or Asian countries that? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we actually this year, um, or published, um, actually, I believe it was last year, uh, a cookbook on Ethiopia by chef Johannes Gebreyesus, who is an incredible, very well-known Ethiopian chef who did this tour through Ethiopia and really explored the different cultural backgrounds of the different communities. It's incredibly diverse. It goes into the, 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 the different kind of regional festivals and traditions as well as the agriculture. And it's an incredibly loving tour. And I just found it so fascinating. So I would absolutely be interested to do um, more African cookbooks and uh, yeah, any, I mean, really anywhere that we, we will, we are constantly looking to expand our list and um, you know, if a book comes across us that we think, or an, or an idea that we think, you know, this person will really represent that culture. We will, we're, yeah, we're open to it and up for it. So I have to tell you a story about Colombia. So when we first opened the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, we got a phone call uh, about going to Medellin. 
And they have a food festival there every year called Otro Sabor. And, and they have a different theme every year. And that year, their theme was the connections between New Orleans and Colombia. Wow, fascinating. And so apparently, this is not a great connection, okay? But it is a connection. People from Colombia, uh, Spanish people who were colonizing Colombia, would go to New Orleans to buy slaves, mm -hmm. um, enslaved Africans. And so they, that was a, a, a connection that meant that people who perhaps had lived in the New Orleans area for a while, enslaved people, were then taken to Colombia. And so the food is actually quite similar. So what it really tells you is how much connection, how much influence the enslaved Africans had on the food of New Orleans as well as in Colombia. And so red beans, which are always known as a food of New Orleans, red beans and rice, red beans are a big food in Colombia. Not black beans, what you know, and other beans that you can associate with other places, but red beans. And so they asked me to help them find three African American chefs to go to Medellin to talk about the food of New Orleans. And then they had their chefs talking about the connections between the dishes. It was fascinating. It was cool. And of course, I went too because I couldn't let all this happen. <laughs> I do not. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was a really really interesting. Uh, it was a really interesting visit. And then I went to some other places too, but um, outside of Medellin. But also um, Botero, who is from Medellin, has many works in New Orleans because he came to New Orleans so often. So I felt like I was almost in New Orleans when I was there. It was really great. <laughs> anyway, I know that has nothing to do with cookbooks, but it, it is kind of- I mean, It sounds like it would be a great cookbook. <laughs> It, 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 was, it was really interesting because if you think about where New Orleans is and the fact that it's a port city, so we have enormous connections to Brazil because uh, the port of New Orleans was the place that everything came, that came from Brazil into the U.S. At one time, New Orleans was the only port that was really functioning. There was a small port in Mobile, but it was not as, as robust, and of course, the Mississippi drains about two thirds of the United States. So if you went back upriver before railroads and all that sort of thing, New Orleans was, was the center of all of this trade. So there are so many places in um, Central America, in the Caribbean and in South America that are connected to New Orleans and the food was going back and forth because we were bringing in bananas and pineapples and all kinds of things. But we also were, we were bringing in rum, we were bringing in all kinds of things. And, and that yet our food was going back the other way. And so many people from those countries who were like with, with families that were doing that export import 
would have somebody who lived in New Orleans so that they could oversee things being put on ships or being unloaded or whatever. So then you had this enormous connection and the coffee for, I mean, coffee, we were the original coffee port. They called it the natural port. And in that 17th century, when coffee was first brought into the Caribbean, before it was even brought to Central America or, or South America, it was being grown in the Caribbean and it was coming into the United States through the port of New Orleans. So we have the, these great connections. And so that's one of the reasons why the food of New Orleans is so rich. Amazing. Yeah, anyway, that's, you know, it's one of my things I get all excited about is to talk about it, but that's also why I love to read cookbooks about places other than here because there's so much culture and history that you're reading about when you're eating or preparing or just reading about the food. And that's why I love your cookbooks so much because your cookbooks are written by people who actually know, who who imbue the food with the the love of their region and their culture and all of that and and that comes through in the recipes which is just so exciting and it's not watered down for the american palate or what people think the american palate is or anything like that and that's something that i think is is just a, a wonderful aspect of the books that you that you your company publishes well, thank you. And I think that's, it's kind of, that's what I find so fascinating about food and food culture is that it can be both personal and give you this incredible insight into the history of a place because, it, you know, things like, like that affecting the cuisine of New Orleans and providing these connections between different places, um, you know, the history may um, be difficult and kind of painful to think about at times, but can have provided these important connections and important ways to think about this food that are really important to acknowledge as well. And, and, you know, for, for me, even though the cuisine is very different, one of the books that we've done recently that did a really beautiful job with this was Parwana about the cuisine of Afghanistan told from the perspective of a family who fled kind of during the, the Cold War era and went to Australia. And so the, the kind of the history of the cuisine is mapped and, and the country is mapped kind of through this family history and, and what dishes were significant at various times and then the role that food plays in that history and how that role evolves and continues um, with the family who now has a, a very successful restaurants in, in Australia and kind of has connected to their own local communities that way. And it is written about much more articulately by um, Durkhan Ayubi than I could ever <laughs> do, do it justice. Um, but um, it's that kind of, that connection that comes from these, these you know, and from, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's really true. And it's really, I think, um, interesting to look at those families that settle somewhere where there are many immigrants from that particular place versus mm -hmm. those that go someplace and they find that they, they're alone and mm -hmm. there is no community that of, 
of immigrants from that place that lives wherever they are. I think it's it's interesting to see both of those things. Again, in New Orleans, we have a large community of people from Vietnam who came after the fall of Saigon. And it was the Catholic charities that brought this group of people to New Orleans. And they actually brought the whole village. So when the people came here, they already knew each other. So this was not, oh, just, you know, random people from Vietnam who came together in New Orleans. This was a whole village that was brought here. And that, I think, probably has changed the community in ways that would, would be different if you were just meeting people from other parts of Vietnam, so that they've been able to stay very regional in the food that they produce and that they eat, because they were, you know, they weren't making accommodations for people from other parts of Vietnam. I, I think it's a fascinating thing. That's really fascinating. So I, I want to ask you any other things that are in the works right now that you can share? Yeah, we are currently working on a cookbook, which is a kind of complete update of a, a book we published, I think, 20 years ago now called uh, Portuguese Home Cooking by Anna Vitalia Hortens, who is a um, second generation Portuguese American Who's, who, whose father had a, a bakery, he was a baker, um, and they were very much in tune with the, the Portuguese community. So it's kind of like, um, kind of like you were talking about, she very much grew up within a very um, established Portuguese community, but they came from all over Portugal. So her recipes that she, she and, and she obviously became incredibly fascinated with the cuisine and explored the regional cuisine within, within the Portuguese, Portugal, um, both the mainland and the islands, but also the kind of Portuguese American experience um, in her local community. And so it's an incredibly comprehensive cookbook. Um, it's so, I think, such a valuable documentation of, of this, of this incredible food culture. But she also gives variations. This is how um, this is how it's done here. This is what ingredient is used in this region. And then, you know, frequently like Portuguese American chefs will do it this way. And so I think it's really uh, fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, we, it's been re-photographed, redesigned. Um, oh, she yeah. had new recipes added, new, um, you know, new text, um, updating according to kind of updates to the, to the techniques that might be used or, um, you know, things like wines that are available and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's a really so that's something that we're really really excited about. That's that's forthcoming. Um, when is it going to be available? So that will be um, in the fall. Um, yeah. Okay. And so I have one more real question that I I try to ask to everybody involved in cookbooks is, do you think that there's a future for the book and cookbooks, or do you think that eventually all of this will be online? or at least uh, on Kindle or something. I mean, I, yeah, I absolutely think <laughs> there will be a future as a, a um, I might be biased as a, a lover of books and a producer of books, but, but I, um, I think for us, um, you know, a few years ago, I remember there was a lot of chat about how eBooks were going to take over and that, that would, you know, would kill the physical book. And it's just not something that we've seen 
happen at all. And I think maybe, you know, I think the internet makes a lot of recipes and information um, accessible. I think there's a wonderful place for it. I think it's, you know, it's it's been really an exciting development for food and, and sharing food. And, but I think, you know, for us, we really focus on making our, our books um, kind of treasured objects. They are, um, they're beautiful. They're, you might want to display them. You want, you might want to, you know, you want to use them and, and get to them, get to recipes quickly and splatter things on them or, you know, so I, for us, I think, and, and they're, they're an incredible kind of curated collection that someone has put their heart and soul into. So I think, I think that they're, they're still objects that people want to own. So we haven't really seen any, any real, in fact, we've, it's been an, an area that has increased um, our, our books, our book sale, our cookbook sales. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, it, I think that there will always be room for that. You know, you can't pass down a, um, you know, a, a digital, an ebook in the same way. And um, right, I, I don't know, right on the sides of the pages, and you know, exactly. say, oh, I got this here or whatever. Yeah, I, or I want more of this, you know, and change the recipe to make it your own or any of that sort of and they and they play such um kind of emotional roles for people um cookbooks i i feel like um you know i own cookbooks that that my mom's handwriting is in or that my you know my grandmother um wrote things in or um and you know it puts me in mind of a of a story from the immigrant cookbook and one of the contributors anna sofia Pelez, who is cuban american she talks about how her family came here without really bringing many of their belongings to the United States. So for her, she sort of gathered recipes and old cookbooks as a sort of stand-in heirlooms that she, you know, and, and kind of relics of, of her of her her family's life in, in Cuba. And one of them went to the recipe she shared is um is called Harina Dulce. It's like a it's like a cornmeal, a sweet cornmeal pudding that she is kind of a, a comfort food that is made all over Cuba. And, and she, she got the recipe from this 1920s cookbook that she has had in her house that has sort of become one of these incredibly treasured objects. And she gives us a beautiful description of it that, you know, the pages are, are um, so tattered and worn that she loses a piece of it every time she uses it. it come, you know? And it just made me think like, I have, I have things like that. I have books like that, that, that are, that are that emotionally important to me. I don't think books are going away. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so, so Layla, I want to thank you so much for being part of Tip of the Tongue. And I look forward to all of the books that are coming out of Interleaf Publishing. So uh, thank you so much for speaking with me. I so enjoyed it. Good. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.